0: welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series 12 and episode 16 and we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. We're studying in John chapters 15 and 16 and we're in the middle of the teaching of Jesus that's recorded in John during the Last Supper and that of course takes place in the last week of the life of Jesus. So let's just quickly rewind the clock a little bit and just put everything firmly in context as we do in every episode just to help us understand the passage. Obviously we're now in the last week of Jesus's life which has been the subject of series 11 and series 12 and if you've followed through both those series you'll get a very full picture of everything that happens. The gospel writers give a great deal of attention to every single event of the last week of Jesus's life from the time when he entered Jerusalem in triumph, in the triumphal entry on the Sunday, that begins the week, all the way through to his resurrection the following Sunday. Such a week of incredible drama. And the basic theme at the center of it is the conflict between Jesus and the religious rulers, which was coming to a crisis and a conclusion. Jesus went into the temple on Monday, Of that week, having made the triumphal entry and confronted the religious establishment by confronting their trading activities through their market stalls in the temple, which were making a huge amount of money for the priests and their associates, but corrupting the religious life of the temple. That was a very confrontational act. And the following day... The religious authorities were on the offensive when Jesus came back to the temple. They tried to trick him up with lots of difficult questions. We've been through in series 11 some of the details of that, which led to Jesus leaving the temple. And at the end of that day, or later on in that day, he spent time with his disciples just outside the city on a place called the Mount of Olives, telling them about things he predicted and prophesied were going to happen in the future. And the first thing was that the nation was in great threat of divine judgment if they continued in their stand through their leaders of resisting Jesus's claims to be Messiah. But secondly, Jesus also explained to them that he was going to be leaving the earth soon after his death and resurrection, coming back again in powerful glory in some future time, an unknown time. Now, the story moves on in this week to the Wednesday where Jesus is in Bethany at a meal hosted by Simon the leper. He's anointed by Mary on that day. And that's the moment when Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, decides he's going to betray Jesus, a fateful moment. And it's a key part of the story because you can't really understand how this story fits together unless you see the central role of Judas Iscariot because you have Jesus on the one hand with the crowds, with his disciples, great popularity, and you've got the religious leaders looking on from their position of authority in the temple, wanting to stop the Jesus movement, but not knowing how to do it. And the way they wanted to do it was to arrest him secretly or privately, out of the public gaze. And that was very difficult to do because they didn't know what his personal movements were. But once Judas came to them, he could tell them, where Jesus was and where Jesus was going to be. So on that Wednesday, when Judas went back into Jerusalem and had a discussion with the authorities, agreed that he would betray Jesus very shortly, and they agreed to give him money. When that had happened, then this whole conflict was bound to come to a confrontation. Jesus was bound to be arrested at some point. In fact, it happened very quickly. He spoke to them probably on the Wednesday, And here we are on the Thursday evening in the Last Supper and the betrayal of Jesus is going to take place straight after this event. Now in the Last Supper discussions and episodes that we've had so far, we've told the story with a number of different interesting dimensions. This is a Passover meal that Jesus celebrated, a family meal, so to speak, with his disciples. I think he'd done it before, probably when he'd been up in Jerusalem though we have no direct record of it, and it was a tradition of the Jews that family units or groups of people traveling together would share this Passover meal with the lamb, roast lamb at the center of it, bread and wine and various other food. So in the episodes that we've discussed the Last Supper, from episode nine onwards, we've told the story of the gathering together of the Last Supper of Jesus taking the form of a servant and washing his disciples' feet, then Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper, that special commemoration of his death as a permanent feature of church life during the middle of this meal and asking them to repeat the breaking of bread and the drinking of wine as a sign of remembering his death and its significance. Then Jesus taught about servant leadership and Judas finally left at that point the meal and this is the moment where he betrays Jesus very specifically because he knows where Jesus is and he knows where Jesus is intending to go when he's finished the meal and that information he is passing on to the authorities so they can send out a party soldiers and others to arrest him so while that's going on hidden and unseen we can't see exactly what's going on in the story but we know it's going on Jesus focuses in the narrative as given in John's Gospel on reassuring, comforting and strengthening the disciples at a time of great vulnerability. And in John 14 and 15, we see some of those reassurances and some of those teachings that Jesus gave. Two episodes ago, we saw that he began to teach about The Holy Spirit, that's tremendously important. They've been teaching before about the Father, the Son, how Jesus revealed the Father, how Jesus was going to the Father, how the disciples would go to the Father in heaven. But then Jesus begins to explain that the Holy Spirit is going to be sent from the Father and the Son and given to the disciples. The person of the Holy Spirit is going to come and live in them permanently and powerfully so that they can carry out their mission and ministry. So that was two episodes ago. Then we saw the metaphor of the vine and the branches where Jesus discussed how God the Father was going to shape their lives. And that was the subject of our last episode. Now we're returning to the question of the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me just read a couple of opening verses and comment on them before we read the main passage. John 15 verse 26 to 16 verse 1 when the advocate comes whom i will send to you from the father the spirit of truth who goes out from the father he will testify about me and you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning so that's the major theme we're going to come back to that in a moment but the next statement is important for context All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Now, here comes just a vital clue as to what Jesus is doing, because this is a very long discourse or teaching here in John chapters 14, 15 and 16, leading to Jesus's prayer in John 17. It's a very long part of scripture. And John takes great care to recount this for us. And we can begin to see what Jesus is doing. He's stabilising very, very vulnerable disciples. They don't really know what's going on. They're with Jesus, but he's saying he's not going to be with them much longer. There's been prophecy of his death. There have been rumours of what the authorities might do. Judas has been a bit of a dark horse. He's been coming and going and suddenly he's disappeared for no apparent reason after Jesus had said some challenging words to him. And Jesus had said to Peter and the other apostles that there's a spiritual dimension going on. Satan and the powers of darkness want to disperse them and to neutralize the power of the disciples. All these things are happening here in the upper room. The minds and the emotions of the disciples are vulnerable. John 14 verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled you believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus alludes to it there. And he's going to allude to it again in verse 6 of chapter 16. You are filled with grief because of the things I've said to you. So it's a vulnerable time. And Jesus wants to ensure that his disciples don't scatter when he is arrested tried and executed. He wants them to remain in the city and to remain for the resurrection. He's promised that he'll rise again from the dead, but that's a hard thing for them to really believe and understand. They always struggle to understand how that could possibly come about. Let's continue and let's read This passage will continue from verse 2 to verse 15. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you'll remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the Prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he'll make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine that is why i've said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you so this teaching is about the holy spirit and we have some more details about the topic that jesus began to explain two episodes ago in the second half of john chapter 14 and we come back to The title of the spirit, John 16 verse 7, the advocate, which is also given in John 15 verse 26 and earlier on in the previous passage that we mentioned. And so just to go over again what I said two episodes ago, this Greek word, which is translated advocates in the new international version, has a wide range of meanings three principal meanings that are helpful to us is that the holy spirit is a helper so he literally comes and strengthens us in our walk of faith he helps us when we are weak or in need of guidance and he's there with us secondly he's an encourager so the holy spirit Points things out to us, brings to our attention things that will encourage us, give us context, give us perspective on the things that we are facing in life. And thirdly, this advocate, this Holy Spirit, could be described as a mediator. That's a word very similar in English to advocate. Connecting us to the Father and the Son, connecting us to God in heaven, so to speak speaking on our behalf, helping us to pray to God, the Father, in a meaningful sense. So this is a very powerful statement. He is the advocate. When the advocate comes, it says in John 15, verse 26. And also we've got, again, the title, the Spirit of Truth, which we've seen in the earlier passage in John 14, verse 13 of John 16, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. So He reveals truth to us, which is incredibly important. But Jesus points out in verse 7 that He will need to ascend to heaven before the Spirit comes. Verse 7. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Again, we mentioned in two episodes ago, when looking at the second half of John 14, that the coming of the Spirit is closely connected with the departure of Jesus. And the departure of Jesus is not just his death. It's actually his final departure from the earth after a period of resurrection, as we'll study in our final series, series 14, we'll study the resurrection appearances. They took place over a number of weeks. Quite a lot of appearances are recorded in the first day, the day of resurrection, Easter Sunday, then a number of appearances over a period of time, which amounts to approximately six weeks or 40 days. And Luke describes this in chapter one. But after the resurrection, there's a very specific moment when Jesus departs permanently from this earth. This can easily be underestimated in its significance. It's described very clearly in the book of Acts, chapter one. And I'll just read very briefly from this. Acts 1 verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. A cloud is a representation of the glory of God, which often appears like a cloud to human eyes. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white, that's angels, stood beside them. men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, the ascension is a very definitive moment. It's described there very specifically at the beginning of the book of Acts. It's the very last event in the life of Jesus, it's the very last event that we will study in our story. But Jesus sees the significance of it here is that if he doesn't go away, the advocate will not be sent. Jesus needs to go away before the spirit is sent by the father and the son to the disciples. The ascension is needed. And the spirit will be sent by Jesus from the father, as is stated very clearly In the book of Acts and we looked at this verse before, but I'll just repeat it once again from Acts 2.33. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. It's tremendously important to get into the minds of the disciples. The fact that Jesus going from them. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the story. It's not a catastrophe. And he's educating them at this point, hoping to encourage them. Going back to the first verse of our passage, a very important verse, chapter 15, verse 26. He will testify about me. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will testify about me. Here's one of the primary characteristics of the Holy Spirit of God. Remember, we described two episodes ago very clearly the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. Not to be seen as impersonal, not to be seen as a physical power like electricity. He is a person. He is God in person working through human beings. Living in those people who are believers and empowering them to live a supernatural life and revealing to them things about Jesus, testifying about Jesus, both his past, his earthly life and what he's doing in the present through the church and what he will do in the future. Now, John 16, verses 8 to 11, turns our attention to the work of the Holy Spirit in unbelievers. This is a very important passage. It's a different focus. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The Holy Spirit is going to prove unbelievers to be in the wrong. What does this actually mean? It's very likely that the primary meaning of this is that the Holy Spirit is going to work in many unbelievers in such a way as to convince them that they need to change their mind about Jesus. In other words, this is probably a reference to the conversional salvation process by which people fundamentally change their mind. Change their mind about sin, the significance of sin. So the Holy Spirit makes people very aware that we are sinners in other words we've done wrong things thought wrong things in our lives we have guilt all over us all within us shame and the Holy Spirit is the one who convinces us fundamentally that there's a real need to deal with things that are wrong in our lives that's the work of the Holy Spirit no one else can do that And the Holy Spirit will convince people about righteousness. Righteousness here is a reference to the gospel and God's right way of dealing with humanity and how he puts humanity right with him. So the Holy Spirit will convince people about their need of change, the reality of sin. He'll convince people about the way of change, the way of righteousness, and you'll also convince people about judgment that without salvation we stand to be judged. So, this is almost certainly a reference to the power of the Holy Spirit to change people's way of thinking fundamentally and to bring a conversion or salvation process. Now, you may have experienced that and you may recognize. That something's happened in your life that's brought a fundamental transformation. It happened to me at about the age of 15. Just such a radical awareness of these truths came home to me over a period of a few months that changed my life forever. Maybe this hasn't happened to you yet. Or maybe you're going through the process as you're listening to this because you're inquiring about Jesus and you're feeling that power working within you. Can I interpret this for you? This is the work of the Holy Spirit revealing your urgent need of salvation, the clear way of salvation through Jesus Christ and the need to avoid God's judgment. So you can carry along that path and find salvation through trusting in Christ, turning away from the things that you've done wrong. John 16 verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. This is amazing. Bearing in mind, this reference to the work of the Holy Spirit is specifically applied to the apostles. The 11 disciples here, there'll be 12 again very shortly. As Judas commits suicide and another man called Matthias joins their group. The 12 are going to have a unique authority, a unique revelation, which is absolutely remarkable. He'll guide you into all the truth. Now, we've already seen in John 14 some of the incredible work of the Holy Spirit, including bringing to their memory, all the things that Jesus had said. So he's going to lead them into all truth. So they're going to have enough revelation or insight to understand and remember all of the life of Jesus and his teaching and also everything that God is doing through building the church. So as they write and teach, they write letters and teach, in the early church, the apostles are going to be granted incredible insight and clarity and truthfulness because the Holy Spirit's going to be inspiring them in a unique way. This verse also implies the authority to write the books which now become scriptural books for us, including the Gospels written by apostles apostles. Or their authorised representatives. Verses 14 and 15. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. You see, the Spirit acts in perfect harmony with the Father and the Son. Here we have a beautiful example of the Trinitarian nature of God, the three persons in one God. So, some conclusions and reflections. All of this points towards the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit will be poured out, as recorded vividly in Acts chapter 2. You might want to read Acts chapter 2 as a parallel passage. This passage also encourages us that for unbelievers to come to Christ, there has to be an initial work of the Holy Spirit. We can't persuade people on our own, although we can play a key part in the process by preaching Christ, sharing our testimony, pointing people to scripture, encouraging them to connect with the church. But the power of the Holy Spirit is the vital fundamental ingredient of the salvation of an individual. He is the one who convicts people about sin, righteousness and judgment according to verses 8 to 11 in this passage. That's a very important thing. This passage also gives us confidence that the scriptures we have before us written by the apostles and their associates are in a special way inspired by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was given to the apostles in a unique way to guide them into all truth so that they could pass it on to us. A final thought is that the Holy Spirit is our advocate, our helper, our comforter, the one who mediates between us and God. So I want you to take encouragement from this that the same Holy Spirit promised to the disciples on this occasion is also promised to every single person who believes in Jesus. He'll be our leader and our guide, and he'll lead us towards Jesus Christ and everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus said in his earthly life and in his sacrificial death and in his resurrection. Thanks for joining us for this episode. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.